1: Il va a llegar Le gol de l'Arsenal au fil à Mesut au fil Attention à Nicolas Pepe, encore lui, voilà
0: Qui crée des choses, oh, oh, pied Nicolas Pepe Nicolas Pepe Nicolas Pepe Ça, ça va le rassurer
2: Yes Here's ArsCast Extra. Hello and welcome to another ArsCast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, despite the anxiousness, despite the frustration, despite the fact we haven't signed anybody yet on transfer deadline day, it is a goodly morning.
1: I think it has to be, doesn't it? I mean, not only did we win a match, but Manchester United and Liverpool lost matches in such enjoyable, spectacular fashion that this must be a goodly morning.
2: Holy shit, it was mental. Yesterday was truly a mental day of football. Apart from Arsenal, we provided a bit of stability, a bit of normality, a bit of, you know, a a sort of anchor of good sense and sensibility (laughs) in this crazy Premier League 2020 that we're experiencing so far. But we are the steady rocks, uh, you know, just just making everything normal while while everything else around them is going crazy. It was just an extraordinary day. A two-one win feels very normal,
1: doesn't it? In context, mm. what what I like is that obviously, uh, maybe we'll touch on it more later. Obviously, United were just completely taken apart, but Shit. unfortunately, it was it was by Spurs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah. which sort of was a bit you know there's a degree of conflict in my feelings about that. Yeah, but then of course for them to be overshadowed. Within minutes, essentially, by what happened with Aston Villa and Liverpool, was made it a much more satisfying day all round.
2: Yeah, well, I was I wasn't watching that game because I just sort of assumed that Liverpool would win, and it was <laughs> Sunday evening, so I was watching a movie and checking Twitter every so often. It was like, hang on, what four one? to Aston Villa what, what's happening here what is going on and then it was like turned it on a bit later and I could see people going we want eight we want eight it was like holy shit it's just <laughs> bananas I watched a bit of it on Match of the Day Two last night I watched the Liverpool game I've never seen so many deflected goals. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a bit like, like if you were playing football manager and that score came up, you'd be like, the code's broken here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't feel like real life. Um, it was absolutely a surreal day on all counts. Um, but anyway, I-, I wanted to quickly say, I've got some interesting news about my house that will affect the podcast. So you'll okay. be delighted to hear. I-, I don't know if listeners are aware, I might have mentioned it before. I recently, like in the last couple, of months moved into the first property that me and my wife have bought together and you know it comes at a long spell of like shifting around and living like vagrants slightly and saving money mm. and we're very very happy here yesterday i got a letter saying that next door and when i say next door six feet away are applying for planning permission to demolish a four-story building and build another one oh my god <laughs> <laughs> So all I'm saying is, unless I can somehow... I mean, I'll probably be lying out there on the building site like an Extinction Rebellion protester trying to stop this happening. But the next two years of the podcast could just be incredibly noisy.
2: Oh, my God. This could only happen to you, you know. Yeah, I know. I'm
1: absolutely... Gutted about it i will find if there's any clever lawyers who can stop this building being built for the sake of the sound quality of the podcast you must intervene
2: i i would say the building next door is uh a listed building james because something very important must have happened there in the time that it's well, been if it
1: didn't uh- I've got a few weeks to make something very important happen there.
2: Right, okay. So, <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Of course, this you. famous building where the, uh, the, the owner was murdered by a neighbour
2: <laughs> in a oh fit
1: of rage. God, oh my. Um, well, it, yeah, yeah
2: look, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it and we'll see, you know, what we'll have to do um, to, to make it all happen. God. Soundproof
1: my house. We're going to have to soundproof my house, Andrew. It's Funnel of- all the Patreon money into a soundproof cell.
2: Do you know what? Years ago, I have a studio, as you know, in Dublin City Centre, which is a a really nice little studio in in town on South William Street. It's cool, really great location. But the first location that I chose was the top floor of an office building, just the the other side of St. Stephen's Green. Really nice place. Um, And I I signed up for a six-month lease on that and began to move into the studio somehow, Somehow, And I don't quite know how this had passed me by in the time that I'd come to look at the building and everything else. But just across the road, they uh, were demolishing a massive building, and they were reconstructing uh, an office building. They dug a hole which was probably about 100 feet deep. So even <laughs> with all the soundproofing in the world, all you could hear were these like heavy machineries going... <laughs> So uh, I got nothing done in that place and still had to pay six months' rent. Wow, yeah. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, imagine if you didn't rent it. Imagine if you owned it. But, I mean, I'm looking into soundproofing my skull. You know, can I sort of put foam padding on the inside of my cranium or something like Mm. that? Um, We will find a solution,
2: nevertheless. On to the football. On to the football, yes. We'll talk about this. I think we probably need to split this particular episode into two parts as we normally do, and we'll have questions. But many, many, many of the questions are surrounding what's going to happen today, transfer deadline day. Is anyone going right. to come in? Are we going to get rid of anyone? You know, what the shit is going to go on with <laughs> with transfers between now and 11 p.m.? So I think we'll deal with all that in the second part of the show. Um, And we can concentrate on the match yesterday against Sheffield United, which I realize many people out there are very unhappy about because um, we won a game of football. I thought some of the replies to your tweet yesterday were extraordinary. Like, I get the idea that people want new players and they're anxious Mm. for the squad to be improved. But why do you want new players so your team can win more games of football, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how how can you not be interested in the game of football and only interested in whether we sign players or not? I mean, I want us to sign a midfielder as much as anybody else, but but ultimately, the game, the football, the, the <laughs> I know, club. I, I mean, that, yeah, is, yeah, isn't yeah. this isn't this what we're here for? Demolition has begun. There it is. It seems. Mm.
1: Uh, um, yes, it is kind of extraordinary. I mean, I, I sort of hope and I kind of believe that what we see on social media isn't really reflective mm. of you know the wider fan base. And I think we have to remember that. But I've never seen a summer like it in terms of people's investment and attitude towards transfers. And maybe it is because... You know, fans aren't in stadiums and, and fans aren't, uh, you know, having that opportunity to connect with the team and they're looking for other avenues to do that. But I'm not convinced that the people expressing these views are all season ticket holders. So I'm not sure that necessarily stacks up. It yeah. is, yeah, it is mind-blowing, really. You know, the point of the transfers is is purely to win the games. So when we win the games... We've got to be pleased with
2: that absolutely absolutely and we can all understand why there is a frustration and why there's an anxiousness and why we want the team to do more because you can see that something is happening you can see that something is beginning to bubble and if we can add the right players then we can be a better team and we can be more competitive and everything else but uh, you know to to express complete disinterest in a game because we haven't signed those players yet i, I just don't i don't get it i don't uh, understand it you know you can have mm. you can have anxiety Anxiety about not making signings, but still be interested in the actual fucking game of football, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: so look, if you're going to say you're not interested in the game, at least say that at half time when the game was really, really boring.
2: <laughs> it was. It was. It wasn't much of a first half, was it? Um, you know, a team lot... selection. What, what, what do we think about the team selection? What do Anything we think about team first? selection? um
1: Granit Shaka left out unusual, really unusual that he would not start a Premier League game under I, Arteta.
2: Yeah. Look, obviously, Ceballos was in, was in the team, and I think he was there to provide some measure of uh, incisiveness or creativity or whatever that might be but Nenny's role was like I, I couldn't see Granite Shacker play the role that Nenny played yesterday mm. because a lot of the time he seemed to be operating as a kind of um, right back slash well, right um, yeah. sided center half kind of guy and Bellerin was tucking inside so I wonder was it to do with what he wanted from Bellerin which may turn out to be quite inspired considering the, the impact that he made against the system that Sheffield United play Mm. I
1: I think that actually, in a funny way, it was kind of similar to the role Shaka played on the left-hand side last season. We talked about that last week. I do think that as Arsenal move to something more like a back four, we're going to see a central midfield player sort of dropping in to to build up with the back three. And you're Mm. absolutely right. From what I could see, that's what Elneny was doing. He was the the kind of third right-sided centre-half in the build-up. And as well as allowing... Bellerin to be very high, it also allowed Tierney to get higher on the mm. left hand side um, because you know you had Gabrielle there sort of covering for him on the on the opposite flank, so it was an interesting development a, a role we 've not really seen el nenny play. I mean granted our best spell in the game, I think came when we kind of changed things and abandoned that, and El nenny was getting forward a, a lot lot more mm. um, but yeah, that was an interesting development, and I guess the other one. Uh, you know Lacazette left out from Ketia it's one of those where you know the Shaka not playing the Lacazette not playing Rob Holding not playing I don't know how much to read into it because it was the third game in a week and someone like Shaka or Holding, they played a lot, a lot of football by that stage.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't read a huge amount into it. Maybe the reliance on Shaka in midfield is is coming to an end slightly. We'll have to wait and see on that one. I suppose the one that stood out for me as well was the inclusion of Bakayo Saka and particularly in the system that we were playing, which was... (sighs) I know we have this fluid way of setting up at the back, but it was basically a back four. Um And that meant Saka in midfield, which may or may not be interesting uh, when we come to discuss transfers and what have you, you know, in, in the second part. So that was part of it as well. And then Ann on the right, um ahead of Nicolas Pepe again. <laughs> yeah. Uh Look, I think the first half was uninspired from uh, our point of view in terms of creativity there was that early chance wasn't there for Nketiah lovely ball through from from Lacazette and that's the kind of chance he needs to be taking or from Aubameyang sorry yeah Uh, and you know the miscontrol there was not great and that's the kind of chance that he needs to be taking and one of those that if it goes in very early on in the game it changes the complexion and the way that the game might pan out you know
1: yeah i mean i watched the first half and i just thought this is two teams with a really strong emphasis on structure you know they were really kind of <laughs> sort of a, in a solid shape but nothing particularly creative or inspiring and i think that was reflected in the amount of shots in the game um, yeah. very very few basically and uh yeah i mean i was watching that thinking this is you know more of The kind of problems we've talked about with this Arsenal team, which is kind of not progressing the ball into the final third enough, not creating enough goal scoring opportunities, um, and you know, it needed to change. What was clear was as soon as the second half started, even though the shape didn't immediately change, I think there was a lot more impetus. And where I was sat, you could very clearly hear what Mikel Arteta was saying, and the two key words uh, in the second half were quicker and higher. Uh, And I think that's what Arsenal did. But there were a couple of officiating things in the first half we should probably touch on too.
2: Well, look, there was a lot of focus, wasn't there, on the foul by David Luiz, or the foul, the the incident with David Luiz very early on. um, Yeah, what did you think of that? I think the idea of sending players off for that is absolutely absurd. And you know, someone like Graham Souness, who kicked and hacked and butchered his way around a football pitch, sitting there at halftime spouting on about how it should be a red card. You know, how do you how do you tally that with the people who say you know all these handball decisions they're killing our beautiful game? And how can you sit there and then talk about that that tiny little shirt pull fifty yards from goal being a red card? I just don't get it. You know, they kept showing the one with the Aston Villa guy. Uh, Sheffield United game early on in the season. I mean, that's an equally lu- ludicrous decision. Um, mm-hmm. That shouldn't have been a red card either. So let's not sort of use that as the barometer for what should and shouldn't be a red card. I thought it was, I thought it was, the, the focus on it was really strange for me, no?
1: Yeah, and I think that the, you know, it, we're entering this weird kind of period with Vile where you know we, we look at all decisions and go well I mean if they're giving red cards for that ludicrous thing maybe mm. they should give red cards for all the ludicrous things uh, and I, you know in the Louise case I mean I had a couple of non Arsenal fans texting me saying it would have been extremely harsh because uh, you know obviously I was there at the game so didn't see mm. as many replays as you guys uh, and I think the goalkeeper the, the key thing is the goalkeeper's comfortably going to get there you know it's not like the strikers racing onto the ball and it's got an open goal I think basically the goal is just going to clear it away if the mm. play continues, so I mean, I was much more perturbed by the tackle on Aubameyang, which looked yeah. to me like a really really ugly challenge.
2: It was, I mean it was reckless, he was off the ground, he jumped in with both feet off the ground and by the very definition of um, the word, it was reckless, he was not in control uh, he got the ball but he followed through and clearly hurt Aubameyang, so I'm just, you know, it's it's one of those things where that kind of a challenge is rarely brought up, and it's rarely discussed as something that is dangerous. Because I think there is still this mindset in English football that you know it's a good, honest, you know, tough tackle, and if you're at the end of it, you know, tough shit to you. Um, mm-hmm. For me, that's m- much more worthy of discussion uh, than the Louise incident. For me, y- you know, yeah,
1: yeah, and I and I'm surprised that you can look at that and look at replays. And did they do a VAR check on it?
2: Well, I assume they did, but they didn't. They didn't mention it in the commentary, um, right. or maybe they I did. Mean, I don't know. But like you, you, I mean, you have to assume that a VAR is looking, VAR is looking at everything, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose what the issue there is that the referee gives a booking and then the, the VAR has to decide if that's a clear and obvious error and maybe they're loath to contradict the referee in that situation. I think that's a red card all day long. Yeah, me too. And, and funn- funnily enough, if the if the referee doesn't give a card, I think VAR probably makes it a red. Um, yeah, so I just, yeah, I was kind of flabbergasted at that. It was a really... Clumsy. I'm not saying the guy went out to, you know, no, he didn't, deliberately but, hurt the bloke, but it was a really, really clumsy. Well, think
2: step. about the Aubameyang one against Palace last exactly. year. You know, it's that kind of a thing where he was just a fraction late and he committed a bad foul. Because of that, he got the red card. VAR had a look at it and upgraded the yellow to a red. That's the way it worked. There was one for Nketi as well, I think, wasn't there? Um, a red card towards the end of the season. Uh, Oh, at yeah, some yeah. point in, starts, in one of the games. Yeah. yeah, you know, so those kind of things. So, you know, this week we've seen the Manet incident on Tierney. For me, definitely a red card. And then yesterday, but look, let's not talk about uh, officials and officiating. Because what about
1: Luke Shaw? Yesterday, did you see that tackle?
2: Holy shit. Like, how does that not be... How is that not instantly <laughs> a red card? Like, I know. I, it, 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 it was the absolute classic in the genre of, if that had been Granite Jacker, that would have been a red oh, card. You know,
1: I- and Gary Neville, you know, who's you know got a soft spot for United on Sky commentary, called a red card. The second it happened, yeah, uh, I was yeah flabbergasted by that one too. Felt like they were almost letting United off because of you know yeah, because of yeah, they're being
2: a bit of sympathy, which you know that's not the way it works, and that's not what the the laws of the game are for. There's no um, there's no law that you have to feel sorry for Manchester United because they're hilariously being beaten six one, and that guy is going bloody hell. I can't believe we're losing bloody <laughs> hell. Anyway, um, do you think
1: there's a the United podcast? where they come on and they do like an Irish accent and they do impressions of me and you moaning about Arsenal defeat such a drama I
2: don't know I don't think we're you see I don't think we're quite as public as you know they might do something on uh, Arsenal fan TV because Maybe, those are yeah. the things that those are the clips that go viral um, yeah, you know, yeah. So we've not, cleverly avoided that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, maybe there is, anyway. Um, I'd rather not know about it if there <laughs> a, a is. A parallel universe <laughs> it's worth thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, second half, quicker and higher. That's what Mikel yes. Arteta wanted. I thought it was quite interesting to note that... You know, he made an early change. What was it, 55 minutes or something like really that early, when, yeah. when Pepe came on? So that was an admission that, you know, what he was looking for in the second half wasn't quite happening with, with Nketiah. So then we have this interesting thing going on where Obamiang is moved to his central space. Willia- what? <laughs> what did <that> you say? <laughs> uh willian comes over to the left hand side uh or sort of between the left hand side and the middle pepe is on mm-hmm. the right hand side and i thought one of the things that i noticed anyway was that bakai osaka was on the ball a bit more and was looking to do things on the ball in the opposition half and and certainly we were playing higher but we were playing with players who were looking to make things happen because pepe will do that willian will do that uh to an extent i thought he was i thought he was really average in the first half, but then so was mm. everyone else. I thought he was better in the second half. I, I still don't think he was great, but I thought he was much better. I thought Saka was good. Um, you know the 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 ability of Bellerin to get forward. We've seen it um, over the last couple of months. It can make a real difference. That when we're looking for somebody who can drive with the ball quite often he is that guy who gives us um the option i'm not saying he is the be all and end all in that in that respect but we don't have too many players who are looking to break beyond the lines and he is he was um a number of times yesterday looking to overlap and looking for the ball and looking for the pass and he combined well with with pepe i think so
1: yeah i have to say i watched bellerin close quite closely because in the first half he was right in front of me and i watched bellerin and thought that it was as good as I've seen him look for a long time. Mm. And there were, there were flourishes in his game, really small things, technical things, ways he controlled the ball on the outside of his foot or shifted his weight one way then went another, his dribbling ability... Uh, which all caught my eye and it was really interesting that after the game Arteta spoke out and said you know he came to me and he said he really you know feels like he wants to stay here and his his efforts in training redoubled I'm sure that more than anything more than anything emotional fitness is a huge component Mm. here and he must be getting back to somewhere like his best. But I, I, have, I was really impressed by his technical quality. And I found myself feeling very, very glad that PSG ultimately turned their attentions elsewhere uh, in the summer. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about how we improved. And at halftime, I tweeted, I think I was sort of trying to sound like Clive off Arsenal Vision, you know, a bit fancy and tactical. But I said that Arsenal need to improve their small space game. And I thought I think that's absolutely right. That they, they, you know, it was the classic Arsene Wenger thing that Arsenal could play in small spaces, do all that kind of. I suppose what we would call tippy tappy. You know, mm. edge of the box, one twos. But that's what's required to break down a low block. That's what's required to break down a deep defence. And it's not something we conventionally do well. In this Arteta team, I think
2: no, that's true, and I think it is very pleasing to score the two goals that the way we uh, the way we scored them against a team like this. I mean, I think you know you can bemoan the lack of creativity and uh, in this Arsenal side, absolutely you can, but you can also acknowledge that Sheffield United are very very. Uh, stubborn, difficult side to play against, very well organized you know the setup that they have worked extremely well for them last season yeah. they 've had a bit of bad luck so far this season, but
1: they 'll be it, better than they than they are now like yeah. their blue position is not a reflection of how good a side they are, I yeah. don't think
2: you know, and I think what we have to look at in this um, in this result is it was a game that we drew last season at home. It was a game that we lost away from home, so mm. you know we 're mm. looking for this team to make improvements, and I don't think it's fair or reasonable to to expect massive improvements but what we need to do and I think we said this before is turn some of the draws from last season into wins Absolutely. because you 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 know three points versus one point you don't need me to tell you what difference that could make uh, in the league table towards the end of the season so if you're looking at this game as um, evidence of some progress you can have some um, frustrations perhaps with the way that we played and maybe we we should have done a bit more i get all that but ultimately the result is an improvement on what we did against this team last season and for me that is that is a positive so
1: yeah yeah absolutely um, and, and i think something that really struck me during the game and that you know i actually wrote about this morning is this idea that arsenal do play that quite sort of delicate you know uh, tippy tappy short passing football but they've been playing it in their own third you know that's where mm. they play their prettiest stuff and the reason they do that is because their best attacker Aubameyang is a guy who really flourishes in space so you play a short passing game in your own third you draw the opponent onto you and then you create the space in the final third for him to exploit but sometimes you come up against a team and this has been Arsenal's problem who, who aren't going to be drawn onto you who are incredibly well structured and sit in deep defensively and that's when you need to play that kind of football higher up the pitch and I thought Pepe and Saka and to an extent Willian as well actually showed that they can do that. And if Arsenal are in those situations where they they need to produce that sort of game, I think they, more than any other individuals in this team, uh, are the ones that Arteta needs to look to.
2: Do you think it's a coincidence that when we brought on Pepe and we moved Aubameyang into the centre... You're okay with that. You've come to terms with that now. That's fine. I was just leaving Oh, right. Uh,
1: sorry. <laughs> yeah,
2: sorry. Um, what? Is that even allowed? <laughs> My mind has exploded. Carry on. <laughs> fine. Uh, you know, and we have Saka on the pitch. We have Willian on the pitch. We have Pepe on the pitch. Uh, and we are playing a bit higher up this Yeah you know, we sparked into life with those players on the pitch and in the positions in which they were in. Do Mm. you think that might have been in some way informative for Mikel Arteta?
1: I think so. And, you know, there is a degree to which, you know, we can talk about it from the tactical perspective, but there is also a simplicity here. You get good, creative, attacking players on the pitch and suddenly a bit of magic happens. And actually, look we're going to talk about chance for a day we're going to talk about signings of course but I was watching that last half hour and I I was looking at Ceballos Willian Pepe and Saka all kind of playing behind a Benyang a master poacher and I thought there's a lot of talent there there's a lot of talent on that pitch at that point point. And I really think moving forward, particularly in home games, particularly in games where we're going to have more of the ball and dominate possession, there felt like a little bit of chemistry. I think, in that setup and yeah. i 'm optimistic we 'll see more of it. I-, I really think so. Was that your all sense
2: as well? yeah, I mean look, uh, this is not to sort of jump into what we 're going to talk about after the break, but you know the the idea that we 're not going to sign maybe a creative midfield player is you know it 's disappointing if we go through a transfer window and we don 't do that. The reality of that, though, means that we are going to have to find a way to be more creative and to create more chances and to be more dangerous with the players that we've got. You know, as much as people don't want to hear that and maybe won't like it, and I understand that, we have to think of ways in which we can uh, be more dangerous on the pitch. Mm. And I looked at that, and you're right, I forgot Ceballos in there as well. So you have Ceballos, Willian, Saka, Pepe, and Aubameyang. That's, you know, it's not bad. It could be better obviously, but it's not bad. Um, you know, and I think it's it's not a coincidence that the goals came um when we had those players on the pitch. I think Pepe really brought something um to the party. Um, yeah. Not just with the second goal, he was involved in in the first goal as well. And I thought it was really smart. You know, I think what we're seeing are are these flashes of the kind of football that Mikel Arteta once To play and the kind Mm. of team he wants us to be, and he did say uh, over the weekend, you know, before this game, that he wants to, you know, have x amount of chances, and he wants to dominate possession, he wants to score lots of goals, but he has to be, uh, has to try and do it with the players that he has. I mean, it's another example of him saying basically, we need better players to be able to play the way that I want. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless. You know, there are flashes in games and moments in games where I think some of the, the training ground stuff is obviously coming off. I thought it was really smart movement. It was a lovely goal, that first goal. You know, Elneny involved to Aubameyang, the, the sort of pass, a bit of an overlap, Bellerin's cross, yeah. Saka's header. You know, there's a lot to like about that goal.
1: Beautiful goal. Beautiful goal. And And, and if you think about an archetypal... Arteta goal you know this idea of Arteta ball it is those the sweeping moves one end to the other so you know short 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 long and then we go and and this was a different type of goal this was a goal that felt you know almost vengerish it was that sort of interplay on the edge of the box breaking an opponent down skill Mm. intelligence guile movement I really, really liked it. And it's what Arsenal need to do more of this season if they are to turn some of these draws into wins. Um, Yeah, good play from Pepe in the build-up. William was involved as well. Bellerin making a dangerous run. And and isn't it... it, Am I right in thinking it's Elneny, actually, who drives Mm. into the box? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that was sort of one of the changes from the first half. He played in a more advanced position. But, you know... I remember, It's funny enough, Mateo Ganduzi might well lead the club today. But one of the things that I liked about him was that ability to just sort of, um, you know, take a game and, and say, right, I'm going to push on and I'm going to make something happen here. That is never something I would associate with Mohamed Elneny. Uh, but he did seize the initiative in that moment. So fair play to him. Yeah. A nice header too on the end from Saka.
2: Yeah, look, I think it was part of something a bit more structured than the the sort of, the, the woolly chaos that Gendouzi brought to the our game, you know, I'm thinking yeah. of that Villa game. Um, uh, where he was he was really really good. So yeah, look a lovely goal and the second goal what I really liked about this was I was frustrated in the first half that when Willian got the ball on the right he very often went backwards. I don't think his his touch and his control was where it should have been uh, on a couple of occasions. But no, you could see immediately what Pepe wanted to do was look for a forward pass. So he had the ball, he played it inside to, you know, there's Bellerin playing in this kind of old-fashioned inside right position and you know uh, the, the pass back to him, that burst of acceleration, the drive into the box, the finish, absolutely all the things that people were excited to see from Nicolas Pepe when we bought him. That is the kind of goal that we um, maybe haven't seen enough um, I'm not saying it's it's something he could and should do every week because it's obviously quite difficult. Uh, it was a really, really, really good goal, and I was delighted for him to get it because I think he needs that kind of a confidence boost. He does feel like a confidence player. Um, you could understand why confidence would be in short supply in the early stages of this season. So it was a, a fantastic goal to score, uh, and to score quite uh, soon after the first goal really kind of put the mockers on, on Sheffield United.
1: Yeah, and I think he's had some great moments at Arsenal, Pepe. You know, he scored two free kicks to win us a game in the Europa League group stage last season. But I think this was my favourite Pepe moment thus far. And the reason is, it was what we bought him to do. Like, when we bought Pepe, I don't think any of us thought, well, we're buying a free-kick specialist here, someone who delivers really good dead balls. We thought, we're buying someone with pace and goal threat who can run in behind and who can finish. And we haven't haven't seen that loads at Arsenal. You know, we've seen him scoring from cutbacks and things like that. But when he turned and took the ball and drove at the defence, stroked it home... You know, without being too simplistic about it, it was like watching Pepe at Lille. It was mm. like watching all the YouTube videos that had us all salivating and exciting excited rather about the signing that we were making. I loved it as a goal, I loved it as a moment, I thought you saw from him and his teammates that sort of little explosion of, of confidence and satisfaction. And and Arteta's right. After the game he said, Look, consistency. Consistency mm. is what I'm looking for from this player. But that was a real, he's been a player of moments thus far. That was, for me, one of his best, best moments. And I really, really hope he can push on from here because he's had a slow start to the season. But, you know, it, while he is a player who can play in big space, who can play on the counter, he absolutely also has the skill and the technique and the imagination to do, mm. you know, to break down defences too. And uh, yeah, I, I loved that guy.
2: I think it's a bit of a shame that our next three games are are what they are, you know, in that we've got Man City, yeah. Leicester, and then Manchester United. Um, whatever, will probably
1: be back to kind of what we've been doing until now,
2: won't it? I, I would kind yeah. And you were, you, you know, if we were playing so-called smaller teams, maybe there might be the opportunity or or the ability to to play with this kind of. Formation, or you know, give Pepe a run of games, and I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I just feel like maybe he won't because of the the opposition we're playing, and uh, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. The, the the difficulty of that. I also really enjoyed the fact that after the the second goal went in, we controlled the game for the most part in terms of possession we just kept the ball we kept it moving we made them run around and chase the ball and they didn't get near it for periods there were times where we had the ball for two three minutes at a time and they just couldn't get anywhere near and it's been a while since i felt comfortable or seen an arsenal team even that's really comfortable in doing exactly what they did
1: yeah, I thought they were I thought they were pretty assured, actually. And we ended the game with 65% possession, which is, you know, relatively unusual for us of late. How much of your kind of satisfaction with, I mean, I know we conceded a goal and we'll touch on that, but with the kind of security of this Arsenal team was down to Gabriel? Because I thought he had a really good game, actually. Uh, uh,
2: yeah, I did too. I think what's really noticeable about him is that in these one-on-one situations he is yeah. really, really good. Really good. There are a couple, like, there are, there are sort of jewels where the guy is trying to go past him or where he's covering space and he'll win a tackle or he'll block the guy off and force him backwards. But there were a couple yesterday where it's one of those where the ball bounces and he's running back and he's the last defender and he's got to be decisive in what he does, mm-hmm. right? He He can't be half-hearted about the challenge but he wins the challenges, and more often than not, he keeps the ball for us as well. Even if it's with a header going in the right direction, going to somewhere, uh, you know, to the feet of another Arsenal player. I think that, for me, is the most impressive part of, of his game. I think the passing um, will come. I think one of the things that I'm sure Mikel Arteta will talk to him and some of the other players about, especially when they rewatch the first half, is the pace of passing. The mm-hmm. pace of pass needs to be quicker at times. We need to move the ball more quickly when it arrives at feet, but we also need to like just fucking fire it into feet. It's too mm. slow at times. And that that when you're playing a team like Sheffield United where um a half a second or a quarter of a second be- can be the difference between finding some space and not. You want your players to hit the ball as hard as they can when they're making passes, um, yeah. and I think that's something that will come from him. But what I liked as well was was some of the passing that he made into midfield. He was cutting between the lines. He was he was trying to add some um, you know some some progression to the passing when we had it at the back. Um, so yeah. overall, look, it's early days. Of course, it still is really early days. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been impressed with him. And I thought, you know, in a four yesterday, alongside Louise, who I didn't think had a particularly good game, I was I was impressed, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, one of the really nice things about Gabriel I've noticed is that when you watch him closely, you watch him in the duels, you can kind of almost see strikers becoming a bit disheartened. And it's been a long time since I could say that, really, about an Arsenal centre-half. I mean, Sheffield United brought on McBurney yesterday on 56 minutes. And I, I don't even mm. remember last season... But Bernie gave us loads of problems. I mean, we really yeah. struggled to deal with him. He's a, a significant aerial threat, and we just looked so much more comfortable with Gabrielle back there. He 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 has a, a real physical presence, and it's simple, isn't it? But you know, you put a six foot three guy in at centre half who doesn't mind a duel, and it makes you a much more secure outfit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really really impressed with him uh, in this game. I mean, Sheffield United got their goal. I don't have a very many complaints about the goal. I mean, it's a oh, it's do. a great hit. Oh, do I you? do,
2: yeah. I kind of do. I, I feel like Tierney and Louise are bad for the goal. Um, oh,
1: really? You'll have, you'll have to tell me because I've not seen it back loads. But I, I just thought, oh, well, that's a well, I hell think of a shot.
2: T- oh, it is a great finish, but I think Tierney gets a little bit wrong-footed. He kind of thinks your uh, McGoldrick is going to go back on his right foot because he's right-footed, so ah, he sort okay. of takes a step the wrong way, and Louise. He makes himself smaller. Now, I know so, probably there's an element of like, I've got to keep my hands by my sides and I've got to make sure that I don't give away a penalty. I think there's yeah. something about that. But I do want to see a central defender try and block a shot more. But take nothing away from the finish. It was a really excellent finish. I don't think Leno uh, had any chance.
1: Yeah, I'm watching it now, actually. And you make a good point about Tierney. He sort of doesn't... Yeah, he gets wrong-footed massively yeah. and, and yeah. it means he's short. The point about the hands, very interesting, Gabrielle and Louise yesterday, both several times in the box went to defend a situation, arms behind their back, yeah um, now obviously, I think there has been a tweak to the handball rule in the last week or so, uh, and they've slightly changed the directive on how to manage it, so maybe that's a unnecessary caution, but it definitely felt like a conversation had been had you know with staff or whatever of we're not taking any chances with handballs here and maybe that was a factor.
2: Yeah, maybe so, maybe so and it made the last few minutes a little more nervy than they should have been considering the control that we had over the game. A one goal lead is always a little bit precarious, isn't it? But I think overall we were good value for that win Uh, the goals that we scored and the way that we scored those goals, even if we didn't have a huge amount of of chances or shots on goal I think just the quality of the goals and the quality of the football that we played to score those goals made us deserve Ring winners,
1: yeah. I mean, look, we need there weren't very many shots in the game at all, as far as I recall. Look, I think it was about six uh, shots each a piece in the match, which tells you this was a very tight, structured game. But we did manage to break them down, we did do enough. I think it's a, a really good result at the end of you know quite a draining week, two games against Liverpool. I mean, yeah, look, <laughs> look at the effect that had on them uh, <laughs> against Aston Villa. The fact that we came through. I think Arteta rotated the team well across the week to win two of those games. Uh, I'm very content with that. You know, headed into the international break, and I think we've made uh, a strong start on the field for sure.
2: Yeah, look, it was this was a game we had to win as well. When you consider yeah. the fixtures that are upcoming, you know, a home game, uh, we we had to win this one, and we did. So there's a bit of pressure that comes with that. And we, you know, we we lost to Liverpool obviously in the league last Monday. You know, you don't want to rack up too many defeats too early in the season. I think if you were to ask people realistically what would have been a good return from the first four games, nine out of 12, most people would have said that's a good return considering Liverpool, you know? Uh, And Mm. I think, you know, what happened against Villa is very funny, um, extremely funny, obviously. But I think it's a kind of a freak result, well, it's all
1: down to Emmy Martinez, isn't it? The brilliance of Emmy Martinez, yeah. of course. Yeah,
2: and well, look, and also the presence of Adrian in the Liverpool goal, wow. I don't think does, does them much wow. good.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a goal, I don't know if you saw the goals, but there was one where Jack Grealish went through on goal. I think it might have been the seventh, actually. Yeah. And... His finish, he basically just ran up to Adrian and just sort of just poked it past him. But it was a finish that really said he knew how bad that goalkeeper was. <laughs> it was so impudent and sort of, uh, yeah, confident that, he, I mean, he is he is extraordinary. He played about 12 games for them last season. They somehow won the league, so... Maybe we'll, we'll be all right with old Rino Rinnison on the bench for yeah, us. Yeah,
2: who knows? Speaking of impudent finishes, uh, Vivian Miedema's goal yesterday? You Great goal. Holy Great crap, God. that was well worth checking out. You can find it. I think I retweeted the, the thing. It's on the Arse Blog Twitter timeline. So, look, anything else from yesterday that we need to touch on? I know people were anxious for us to do a bit of all Ole out mm. um, on the Twitter, but I had a look this morning. I couldn't really find anything hilarious, not in the same way that uh, Sari out and all that was. Going, no, uh, uh, I've got, uh, got a,
1: I've got a few though. So we do a
2: couple, yeah. You you do them. I don't have them. Um, I've got none.
1: This is one United fan, Abhishek. I cried I, at Man United. I cried today watching the game. But what hurt more than that is Evra crying on Sky Sports. <laughs> you, you
2: idiots! <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. The look of absolute despair on the face of Patrice Evra was. It was like... Um, it
1: was great television. That was worth my Sky's subscription alone, I've got to say.
2: Yeah, I could feel my soul filling up again. <laughs> it and then he day.
1: goes on, actually. It doesn't end it there. Please leave us or kill us. Because <laughs> you can leave United. We can't. We die with it. Hashtag M-U- Man U Tottenham. Hashtag MUFC. Hashtag Ole Out. Hashtag Glazer Out. Praying emojis. Uh, which is good I like this one as well Yash Kropkar stupid Ole In fans get a bitter taste of the truth thank you Jose Mourinho for exposing the fraud the special one hashtag Ole out so I like that they're so angry that they've turned back to Mourinho oh Um, my goodness Cheesehead Brown Pants which is actually this person's name tonight was so humiliated moment Easily Man United conceded and everything turned to be nightmare. Inside 3 matches we conceded 11 and scored 5 goals. Come on, just do the changes at all or are we going to go down into championship. #onewayout <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my goodness! There's going to be some value from this, hopefully, as well. When we visit Old Trafford, that would be glorious. We'll Please. dig up some some Ole out. Hopefully, Ole will still be in at that point, and they haven't sort of done what they should be doing and like bring in a a manager who's better than someone who failed at Cardiff City. But there you go. Uh, okay, yeah, all right. We have got lots to talk about in part two. Oh, mm. Fucking. What is that? Is that the next door's gardener? leaf garden? blower? Yeah,
1: next door's gardener. I, I don't know what their game is. What are they doing, do you reckon? Blowing
2: leaves? sawing something down? Sounds... It doesn't... Yeah, it seems to be going, you know, closer and further away, so I don't know what's happening, what, whether there's it's leaves. It's the autumn,
1: isn't it? There's a lot of leaves. There's a lot of leaves that need blowing.
2: Just leave them. Just leave them there. That's why they're called leaves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. <laughs> We're going to take a break. All the transfer madness and more in part two, (laughs) right after this.
0: Raise your hand if you'd like to bid farewell to 2020. Now use that same hand to celebrate the new year with Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code NEW YOU at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D R I Z L Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy
2: Welcome back to the ArseCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArseBlog. On the ArseBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArseBlog. And also on the ArseBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you're an ArseBlog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ArseBlog. It feels like this is going to be a transfer heavy Section yeah, um, for be- sure before we get into that though, um, should we touch on the news about Gunnosaurus? I might' transfer
1: the transfer <laughs> deadline news of the day I, guess. I know
2: people might laugh at this and think it 's a really unimportant thing and what have you, but it 's a bit weird isn 't it? I know there 's no games mm. and that 's what he does is he 's there he 's the mascot at the games, and he 's you know great for the junior gunners and all that kind of stuff. But why is there some sort of need to make an official story out of his departure, if you like, or the fact that he's been sidelined? I mean, they do say, I think David Ornstein said in, at the end of his piece, that he will be back, I guess, when fans are back. But well, it just it looks a bit weird, doesn't it? This thing coming out? Like the, can't the, keep ma- the mascot.
1: The, the dinosaur will return, the man within it will not, um, is the situation. Oh. You know, he, he, um, so one man has has performed the Gunnasaurus role uh, mm. for, since its inception in the early 90s. Uh, and his name, I, I hope it, he won't mind me saying at this point, is Jerry Key. I'm not sure how he pronounce, pronounces his surname, Q-U-Y. Um, and he's a man who's got history of working with the club in the Junior Gunners and in the Travel Club as well. And uh, consequ- after the sort of COVID situation, it's a part-time role and it involves him also doing some stewarding on the club coaches. The club have effectively let him go. The club say that this is about them looking at ways to be more efficient and they're, they're, <laughs> they will be bringing Gunosaurus back and they'll be doing it in a more financially efficient way. Um, but of course, it's a shame to see anyone who's got such a long association with the club have to depart under any circumstances, you know? Right.
2: Well yeah look I just don't think the optics of it are particularly great are they I mean what are you saving what don't, are you saying that's
1: a very fair question yeah you know but, but I think that's what that is the position the club are in and I think that they well from everything that I hear I think the financial situation at the club is maybe a little bit more difficult than we even imagine mm. um, and and if you needed evidence of that perhaps this is it
2: well, that and obviously the fact that we uh, haven't yet signed the midfielder that we so badly need um, or that certainly would make a big difference to this Arsenal team. Um, the links to uh Husam Awa were very strong. Um, I know I said something on the podcast last week, which kind of got blown out of proportion a little bit. But there you go. Um, Shit can happen in transfers. This, though, um, I I stand by my information that this was a very doable deal from an Arsenal point of view. It wasn't about whether we could get the player. It was about whether we were going to buy the player or pay the money that Leon wanted, right? So what do you think the fact that it broke down tells us is it that arsenal don't have the money to do the deal or they don't want to spend the amount of money that leon want to do the deal or is it somewhere in between
1: i honestly think it's it's money i really do um because i don't believe that if you think husemua is so good that he's worth paying 40 million for that he's not necessarily worth paying fifty, you know, given the the degree of need in the Arsenal squad for a new midfield player. I think Arsenal had a a limit that they could go to, uh, and it wasn't sufficient. And I think that Arsenal, I think the real story of this window actually is basically Arsenal's inability to move players on, mm. uh, um, which is not entirely their fault. There are a lot of factors in that. Um, it's not a good market to sell a player at the moment especially one on the wages Arsenal are paying people so I think yeah I I think obviously I'm disappointed like everyone else I was really optimistic that we would get a new central midfield player and I think i said that many times but it doesn't feel we're talking at half past ten on transfer deadline day um, it doesn't feel like we're going to get certainly any of our top targets and and all likelihood uh, probably nothing at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, if you're not going to get your top targets, um, you know, do you go out and spend money for the sake of spending money? Like, I know we've been linked to Jorginho. That would be a hugely underwhelming signing for me. I would rather not sign anyone than sign a player who doesn't really give us anything that we don't already have, you know? Mm. Not a significant improvement on anybody in the squad. And again, the wrong kind of age profile, the wrong message, I think... um, When you're trying to build something at a club, if you're taking guys that one of your rivals just don't want anymore or are willing to let go, I think there's something slightly insidious in that, in the kind of perception it it creates around your, your transfer business. So I don't want Jorginho at all. Um, I was looking for somebody who could bring a bit more creativity and everything else. Um, But on that, we have a question from JB at Gunnar Punner, who says, Say we completely understand that Awa and Partey were out of our reach. Are we supposed to believe, looking at this team, that there isn't a single 15 to 20 million pound midfielder in Europe who can improve this Arsenal midfield?
1: That's a really good question. Uh, And I don't believe that, maybe not 15 to 20, but certainly within Arsenal's budget, given what they're prepared to pay for our, you know, if you go up to 30, you open up big chunks of the French and Spanish market. Um, And I think there probably are players who could improve Arsenal's options. Um, I remember Mikel Arteta saying, you know, we will wait for the right player. We won't just go for the wrong player. I sort of feel in two minds about it because I'm like, yeah, maybe there is someone who could improve us a bit, but is not kind of the lesson of this squad that there are sort of too many players that we've brought in that weren't really quite right or weren't actually Mm. the quality that we thought. So, you know, would would it not be, would we not just sort of end ourselves back in the same situation by sort of defaulting to number three or four on the list, you know?
2: Maybe, but I mean, what are we supposed to think about a club that can't, identify talent in the way that other clubs can. Other clubs yeah. can find these players. You know, that's a, that's a reality that we're going to have to face up to. And look, if the restructuring of the scouting department is the way that it has to go, then fine. But, you know, prove that the decision that you're making there is the right decision by making improvements in terms of the the players that we're linked with and identifying uh, out there in the market. It's very difficult to, to imagine that, in the entire European continent, or wherever else you can go looking for players, that there aren't alternatives out there who would have been within our price range, who are the right age, you know, uh, the right stage of development who could come in and and bring something to the team that is missing, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting you know, obviously the scouting department made their recommendations. They submitted literally a a dossier of recommendations before the end of the, before they were all let go. Sorry, is what I mean to say um, that Arsenal were able to work off. But I do think personally that the, the destabilisation caused by different departures within the recruitment department at Arsenal has undoubtedly affected them actually. And, you know, I refer to the scouting department, but I also refer to Roussin I think whatever your opinion on him, and I think our opinion on him on this podcast was pretty clear, um, to lose the guy who leads your negotiations in a transfer window puts a lot of burden on the guy who takes over his job. And arguably, you know, he struggled, I think, with that situation. If you look at the business that we've been able to do since then, mm-hmm. it doesn't really speak to tremendous work from the people who inherited that role.
2: Okay, yeah, that's fine. I, I absolutely accept that. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that the blame for Raoul Senyahi's departure can be put anywhere else than Raoul Senyahi. No, you know?
1: I'm not blaming so, anyone else for No, no, it, no, no I know saying... what you mean,
2: but it's this idea that we should have just let Raoul stay in the job when there were reasons why, um, you know, that they wanted to part ways, you know? So...
1: Of course, and, yeah. and you know, in some ways, that's unavoidable. You yeah. know, like that, you know, that had to happen. Um, but I don't think it. Ha- no, well, I do think- Help Arsenal in the long term. I don't think it helped them in the immediate term. You know, mm. I think that. I think that if you look at what we did, you know, after that, something like the Albanian contract that had been set up, you know, principally by Raúl. I mean, Thomas Party. That was a negotiation that he was overseeing it, when he comes out of the club you know, those things might be a bit more difficult. But, I, I mean, as it happens in the case of party, I think that's purely about money. I just don't think that we could get near the numbers, both in terms of the the fee and the, the wages. Mm. And that opens up another question about money. I mean, I'm sure that people have asked us this, so let me have a, a look. But basically, well, if I can't find it, um, you know, what do you think about the money. So for example, Brad Dennett says if the money brought in through Emmy's transfer isn't reinvested in the squad, should we feel cheated or is this a reasonable business decision during a period of financial unrest?
2: Um I'm sure the money that we brought in from Emmy Martinez was part of the money that we were offering to Leon for our mm. um so I don't think it's a case that, that the money has just gone into the the coffers um maybe it will be handy now if we don't sign anyone to to keep things ticking over um but i mean we had questions from the discord uh this one Mm. from uh let me see here i can't i've got to put my glasses on that's ridiculous (laughs) i'm gonna get my fucking eyes lasered i hate wearing glasses Um, apparently it's great yeah
1: I mean I just, not the actual bit where they're lasering it off see that's but, my
2: thing I feel a bit squeaky about like having yeah, lasers shot in my it. eyes you can, oh, smell, you can smell flesh burning oh. okay well maybe I'll uh, think about it a bit. apparently
1: obviously I've got glasses on so I've not had it done yeah it must have gone very wrong <laughs> if I had it done.
2: <laughs> um, Stark on the Discord says why do our owners never step up when it's needed Cronky just yeah. opened a multi-billion dollar stadium and we can't come up with the money to buy two players shameful and then O'Neill says, are you guys concerned by the total lack of communication from the Cronkies recently? It seemed like Josh had taken up a more active, plugged-in role with the club, but a lot has happened over the summer, with Raul's departure and various other restructurings. A little reassurance over the club's ambitions and intended trajectory from ownership would be nice. I know Mikael says there is cohesion and support there, but that doesn't seem to be manifesting into anything different than usual. It feels like they aren't going to back Arteta this summer, whether they compare, whether they care about the club's position or status or just the Value of investment it seems now is the time to offer that added bit of support
1: so do i think the Cronkies have the financial capacity to give arsenal money essentially to go and buy players yes of course they do they are very very wealthy people um am i in any way surprised that they haven't no and I don't know about you, but my sort of my personal thing is like I almost can't get exercised about it because what it's like expecting you know a, a, what's the scorpion a and the of frog or a scorpion and the frog exactly KSE gone KSE I don't think uh, they'll ever do that I don't think they have they I mean they you know they might in in different ways but I can't see them ever funding a transfer splurge for example mm. what do you think.
2: Yeah, like you, I'm kind of not surprised, but also it's a bit of a shame because, um, you know, there is an opportunity there. And we've said this before that when you're a club that's owned by a billionaire, there is an opportunity to do something in the market, which can make your team better. And ultimately it could be viewed as a, an investment, a capital investment in the, the, the club, you know, um, mm. if you do care about the sporting side of it and you do have ambitions that you say you do, um, you know, there is, uh, very good reason why you could put your your hand in your pocket or you could finance or structure some kind of financial arrangement which would help you get the hour de- deal over the line if you wanted to make it happen, you know? Yeah. So I think it is, at the same time, I understand, and I'm not surprised, but I, f- I can't help but feel disappointed in some ways that they haven't backed Arteta the way that they do. And we did have some questions on this one. One second, if I can bring it up.
1: Yeah, you find that question. I just wanted to add yeah. something that I sort of meant to say. So while I do feel that Sene's departure is disruptive, I kind of feel that the the story of this window, um, and I was chatting to Amy Lawrence about this, this morning, she was very interesting about it, but is that, you know, Arsenal are kind of... If Arsenal don't have any money now, while that is, you know, largely down to COVID, it is also a consequence of all the business that's, that's been done before. Yes. and And, you know... Sanyei was responsible for that. Ivan Gazidis has been responsible for some of it too. You know, Arsenal basically have overloaded themselves with players on very healthy salaries that they're not able to sell. And irrespective of COVID, I think that is something that deserves focus.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think you can't help or I certainly can't help but look at the deals for Pablo Marie and Cedric Suarez as ones which have hampered our ability to do business this summer,
1: mm. well, right? we, we signed them basically this summer. So yeah, we signed them. We, yeah,
2: yeah, okay, no. but they were done in January, and and Pablo Marie turns out to be maybe a bit more expensive than than the initial reports have said. Mm. Um, a bit more
1: permanent than the official reports suggested. You know, it was kind of always going to be made permanent from from what. I can yeah, say.
2: so you know, how can you not have a question about? Uh, and this again, just to be clear, we haven't seen enough of Pablo Marie. To say one way or the other, if he's going to be a good player or a success at Arsenal, nobody knows. Nobody, nobody knows. knows. <laughs> However, you can look at a player's career trajectory. You can look at a player's, um, you know, his where he's played his football and everything else, um, and and have some questions about that. When you join a club like Arsenal, uh, you're you're brought in as a left-footed central defender. And within, what, four or five weeks of making that deal permanent, we buy another left-footed defender for twice the price. Mm. That Mm. raises questions for me. Mm. Cedric never needed him. Absolutely never needed him. I know you wrote a piece um, in The Athletic which explained Mm. why they justified it. Why they did it, yeah. Why they did it, which was they thought Maitland-Niles was going to leave, and obviously Hector was coming back from his injury, so he needed some backup. But, you know, he will never be anything more than a backup player at Arsenal. He's 29 years of age, and we've given him a four-year contract. He Mm. is one of the players who, like the ones that we've got going on at the moment, is going to be really, really difficult to shift. So we've Mm. just sort of repeated the mistake that we've made. So... Uh, we paid a loan fee for him. We've paid wages for him as well. So that's a fairly substantial outlay on two players who have massive question marks over them now. Um, so, you know, you look at what, we, what we've what we done uh, in the market in the last little while. I know we, we spoke about this the other day, and, you know, fingers crossed the £28 million pounds that we spent on William Saliba will turn out to be a great investment and he will be uh, an excellent player for Arsenal. But if you're a club like Arsenal, and I know nobody could see COVID coming, but if you're a club like Arsenal, can you really spend £28, £30 million pounds on a player who isn't going to play for you for two years? Mm-hmm. <sighs> you can't. Well,
1: no. Right now, that doesn't feel sensible, does it? At all. No, um,
2: and I know there's an element of hindsight and everything else. but
1: Yeah, and, you know... Uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the the landscape has dramatically shifted, obviously, and that places everything in a different perspective. But I agree with you, those January transfers right now don't look like a, a sensible use of resource. As for KSE, I completely understand fans being frustrated with KSC and I think that actually that is a perfect place to sort of target your frustration. I can only speak for myself and say that um, today I just feel a bit kind of Exhausted by being angry with them, do you know what I mean? I just feel a bit like they are what they are, and it feels very, very difficult to change that. Mm. Um, I, I mean, what about this question on the on the Patreon from Crujo, who says, "If we don't sign our or party, is this a bad window?"
2: Look, I'm. I think if we don't sign a midfield player it cannot be construed as a successful window because we know we've needed one. If we're losing Ginduzi, which seems to be the case, mm. if we're losing Lucas Torreira, which seems to be the case, if Mikel Arteta has no use for Mesut Ozil, which seems to be the case, mm. and we don't add anybody beyond a player we already had in Mohamed Neni How can you call that a successful window, particularly when I think everybody could see that midfield was the one area where we really, really needed to add something different to the team? And every time I've heard Mikel Arteta talk about how we have to improve the quality. We have to improve, you know, he can do what he can to get the best out of the players, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, more than once he's made it clear that investing in the team is the only way to bridge the gap to the teams like Liverpool and like Man City and the top four and ultimately be a team that can compete for the, for the championship. Um, uh, Premier League, rather. Um, uh, you know, if you haven't done anything significant to make that happen, How can you say it's a successful window?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, so I don't think it's a good window. I I don't think I would, personally, I don't think I would call it a bad one because I do think that the signing of Gabriel and the contract extension of Aubameyang, and to to an extent, Saka, if you include that, is incredibly positive. And I don't want that to be forgotten amidst the frustration of today, you know?
2: Sure. But, I mean, I can completely understand why there is such a, a measure of frustration out there. Not just because we didn't get our, but because we didn't get anyone. And I don't mean anyone, like, we should just go and spend money for the sake of spending money. I think, mm. you know, when we talk about the squad, we realise that the the reason we should spend money is to improve it not just to keep people happy because they're frustrated that we we haven't signed any players. But, you know, the idea, going back to what we were talking about earlier on, that, you know, if it's not our, surely there's somebody else. Surely there are other players out there who could come in and do a job. And I think one of the things to remember is that there is a, a secondary window in which we can buy players from EFL clubs. And we've targeted mm. players from, you know, Brentford this summer. Right. Um, you know, there are players playing at that level who could come in and, you know, do a job for Arsenal. And maybe they're not going to be the world-class player that, you know, we would like, but certainly somebody who could come in. But let me just sort of throw this out there. Um, And it sounds a bit of a Hail Mary. um, And maybe it's just trying too hard to see the positives on something. But we have a question, a couple of questions. Well, we have a couple of questions. One from uh, LemmyG81 on Twitter. Who says, does dropping Saka into a midfield three negate the need to sign an hour type player? Or am I being ridiculously optimistic and making allowances for a very likely shambolic end to our transfer window? And also, here's one from Boom 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 uh ollie tucker who says as, as it stands it's unlikely uh there are going to be any incomings if that's the case what do you think the knock-on effect for somebody uh like Emil smith Rowe might be
1: well i was literally going to say as soon as you said you know the frustration of if it's not our, who is it and and maybe this is you know glass half full but maybe it is Bukayo saka maybe it is
2: like, if because Saka was a player playing somewhere else and Arsenal went out and spent a load of money on him, would we be excited as fans to add him to our that shit. squad?
1: I mean, now, granted, he's not an addition really because he, you know, he was here last season. Yeah. But our is a, a left sided central midfield player. He's right footed, but he plays on the left hand side. He's a left eight. He began his first few appearances in the Leon team because this idiot, me, spent weeks fucking researching him thinking he was going to sign and <laughs> have to write a huge <laughs> athletic piece about him I know I can tell you who his school teacher was I can tell you his nickname I can tell you the job he wanted to do when he grew up and uh, never see the light of day but anyway he he played his first few games in the first team as a winger he played left wing and right wing and he settled as a, a left sided central midfielder that's where Bakaio Saka plays. and I was what 20 I don't know how old he is actually probably 22 Um, Saka's 19 you know there is a case I mean I'm sure they would have been brilliant playing together but there is a case that having not signed out we do have this player with massive potential who it seems to me is tailor made for a role in central midfield I mean funnily enough we spent years thinking like you know how are we going to replace Mesut Ozil or who can do that job I I think he's such a different player but in terms of what he can bring to the side the creativity I think Saka is, is the best bet and if this means his development gets accelerated a bit, he gets a bit more playing time, he gets more seniority and a more important role in the team. Mm. Um, I can be excited about that, actually. I really can. I, you know, if it's the case that he never plays and it's Shakar and Nenny and, you know, we don't play attractive football and it's just, you know, Willian jogging around. Yeah, I'll be a bit... I'll be frustrated and I'll find that difficult and I'll complain about it on this podcast. But if this creates a window for Saka and I do think Saka maybe you know I know Smith-Rowe is mentioned in the question maybe more than any other young player in the squad I don't know I can I can pin some
2: hope on that can you? Yeah because I think we we have to well we have to Yeah, <laughs> I think we yeah. have to um, and look I think we shouldn't forget how good Bakayo Saka was last season in his first full season as a senior player um, you know, at 18 years of age, he ended the season as our, our most creative outlet. He he made more assists than anybody else. Mm. Um, he's now 19. He's been called up to the England squad. He is making progress as a player. He scored his first Emirates goal yesterday. I think he was involved in some good stuff. And if part of what we have to do to make this team better is to develop somebody who actually has... um you know, a high ceiling, if you like, and also plenty of room to improve as a player, then that's surely something we can get behind in the absence of transfers. Like, I'm not saying everybody should go, oh, well, it's okay, we didn't sign anyone, but at least we've got Bakayo Saka. I'm saying that Saka could be the silver lining to a lack of transfer business if nothing happens between now and 11 o'clock. Like, I think there's only so much you're going to get from Mohamed Neni. There's only so much you're going to get from Granit Xhaka. But but Bakayo Saka is at the start of his career, is really talented, Uh, seems like a really humble, hardworking young man who's got it all in front of him. And if what we do this season is get better by uh, his improvement, then let's hope that that's the case.
1: Yeah, and funnily enough, you know, we're all talking about our and Thomas Party's not really getting a, a mention, but I I I mean, based on what happened in the game yesterday and the contribution that Saka, Willian, Pepe were able to make, I look at the sort of deeper half of our midfield and see only Shaker, Sabias and Al as senior options there, and wonder if it's that one. That might hurt us more, you know, yeah. in the next few months. I, I just feel like in terms of, you know, Smith-Rowe, Saka, uh, arguably uh, Willock, you know, we, we do have young players who can really contribute in in that final third area. I mean, who knows what will happen with Reese Nelson. Um, but when you look deeper than that, I, you know, that's where I worry about limitations maybe even a little bit more. Like, I think there's every chance... Saka, you know, in the next 12 months, you know, explodes and becomes as good as our, and becomes, you know, this £50 million player that we need in in central attacking midfield. But I, you know, I think the the limitations of the likes of Alneny or Shaka, you know, not that they're useless, but the limitations we're well aware of. And I do wonder if that's something we might inevitably focus on more. But your point about the window still being open, I think is an interesting one. You know, there are players flourishing in the Premier League now, who who came through the Championship. I mean... Look at what Leeds are doing. Exactly. That's a great example. I mean, and look at bloody Ollie Watkins squad a hat-trick against yeah. Liverpool. I mean, I know it's a strange game, but um, there are others. I mean, the guy Ben Rama at Brentford, everybody knows and can see is a Premier League-level talent, a creative player who can play off the front. I mean... Who knows? I, I honestly don't know anything about Arsenal being interested in him, but it's not impossible. I'm sure there'll be a bit of a scramble for him. Um, but you're right, you know, there are more. Uh, I'm trying to think now. James Justin at Leicester, he came out of the Championship. Uh, Tyrone Mings, Aston Villa, the entire Leeds team. Ar- Ar- Arsenal shouldn't be above looking at that.
2: No, we shouldn't. And maybe it's, you know, what we need to do need to do a bit more of um so 30 million for david Raya. it is (laughs) (laughs) we funnel the our money into
1: the pursuit of david Raya. finally get our man
2: exactly well he just signed a new deal at brentford so i don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon but you know there is talent in the championship particularly if you get it at the right age you know a player who's who's ready to make a step forward Edu spoke very clearly about wanting to use that DNA as a way of of um, you know finding our targets and identifying players who can come in and do a job in the positions that we need them to but yeah look at that Leeds team and look at look at they don't look in any way um, out of place in the Premier League you know mm. uh, obviously the coaching and the job that Bielsa is doing there is is a big part of that and you know they're on board with it but you know, it's sort of wrong to think that the only place you can get players from are other European clubs or, or top division clubs, so... Yeah. Uh,
1: by the way, mm. on, on the subject of this window, like, I feel a bit like Edu is sort of Teflon man at the moment. I feel like he is a slightly fortunate fellow because he came into the club what I mean, quite a while ago now But I feel like various things have meant that it's sort of been impossible to cast any real judgment on him and Mm. his tenure. And I even think in this window, when Rao went and he kind of took the helm, I still think there are enough mitigating factors, you know, Senye's departure, the coronavirus pandemic, the economic implications, to, to sort of say, to make excuses for Edu and sort of say, well, you know, it's difficult. But sooner or later that time will come to an end and I have a nagging doubt, let's say, about about whether or not Arsenal have the right man in that role. And, and I'm not saying that definitively because there are genuinely mitigating circumstances, but it's just how long can it be before we stop making those excuses, you know?
2: Yeah, I think the jury is very, very, very far out. Very mm. far out on Edu. Um I mean, the the one thing I would say in some kind of mitigation is I'm not sure the the sort of uh, high-level negotiation over players is his skill set. So is he being asked to do a job that he's not capable of or not good at, you know? Mm, mm. Um, so that's not to make any excuses for him because ultimately when you're in that role, you have a, a responsibility to deliver. And if we go through this transfer window without bringing in that midfielder, it's hard to say he's done that job well. So, yeah. Um, Let me ask you this. Uh, I I couldn't find the question that I wanted to find. Um, So you've made one up? No, I haven't made one up. I've just got one that's sort of in the same kind of a ballpark. Right, okay. Um, Right, it comes from... Balu Gopalan who's at Balu Gopalan on Twitter he says is Arteta becoming Wenger 2.0 after demanding so much from the board after an FA Cup win regarding transfers now backing off and supporting the owners saying they're doing what they can and you know that has been his message throughout so it's sort of the idea of what Arteta says he wants and what the board are delivering to him are quite different but he's not sort of kicking up about it, if you like, or he's not being critical, um, which I think we can yeah. all under, understand why, but just your sort of general thoughts on, on what he's had to say.
1: Really good question. I mean, I suppose a man not criticising his employer uh, should never be entirely surprising, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all exactly. Anyone who's got a job at the moment is happy to have that job and not in a hurry to piss off the people giving it to them. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we can all identify with that. I, I, I think that... So in the case of Wenger, I felt he really did kind of shield the board and the owners. Really, it's the owners from criticism. And I think it'll be interesting to hear about that in his, in his book. Um, but in the case of Arteta, I, I'm allowing myself to think that this guy is so demanding of the people around him that I just don't think he would stand for any shit. i I just don't actually i think his stock is already high enough that he kind of doesn't need to necessarily and maybe that's misguided but at the moment i have that kind of real fan feeling of trusting him and trusting that he's in charge and if he if he says you know we
2: tried i'm inclined to believe sure i don't i don't think there's a lack of trying per se I don't know that that's kind of the issue
1: um whether he thinks there's competency that's another question you know mm. and that's not something he can talk about publicly but I've always said Arteta will choose at this point as manager Edu works for Arteta yeah and If Arteta feels he's not getting the job done, Arteta will have a a guy in mind. It feels like those two have got a decent Mm. relationship and certainly Edu is is sort of positioning himself close to Arteta. But, you know, it's a smart move because Arteta has the run of the club. And I think if he said, we need more executive support here, we need, you know, people who can get this stuff done. I think he'd probably get it. Um, I mean, what do you feel about what Arteta said about, you know, the ownership and the support and the backing he's received. Do you think he has been backed? Um, kinda is my answer. He kinda has. Kinda but like not I know as that, wholeheartedly as I would like.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think there are obviously some inherited issues, you know, with with certain players and wage packets, and you know, players' contract management has not been great. You know, he's been parachuted in at a time when when some players have. You know, only a little while left on their contracts and and everything else. Um, You know, what did he say? He said, believe me, that the ownership, the board, Edu and myself are doing everything we can to maximize the resources we have to improve the team and sustain and keep the players that are in the club to make this club successful. I have 100% backing from them, and it's not just words. This is reality. Whoever knows me, if it wasn't like that, I would not say that. I say it because it, uh, I feel it, and it's true. Whatever we can do, whether it is ourselves or the owners, they are willing to do it to support us, to back us, because I feel they believe in what we are trying to do. Um, like, I don't think he would say that if he didn't believe nah. that.
1: I, do, I don't either. And, but, uh, and it's it's not uh, just like, oh, the board's about what we're trying to do. He's pretty explicit,
2: yeah, right? but I think there's, a, there's obviously a knowledge gap here in that we don't know what they're trying to do. From the outside, it doesn't look like they're trying to do enough or that the support that Arteta needs to get the player that he wants is there. Mm. That's what it looks like. Now maybe there are reasons. Maybe there's a lot going on in the background that we don't know. But you know, ultimately the hour deal came down to money. Are mm. we going to pay the money we weren't or couldn't? I don't quite know where where the truth lies there. I mean,
1: here's the thing, I I'm sure I I, I am really sure, I would say that the people running Arsenal, the man the you know, the chief executive and I probably Edu I'm sure they have done everything they can to get the players Arteta wanted. For me, the responsibility ultimately has to come from higher, right? If someone yeah. wants to inject a load of cash, I can't put his hand in his pocket and say, here you go, Mikel, there's 50 million quid. Yeah. There's one person who could do that. His name's Stan Kroenke, right? So mm. that that is where the buck stops for me. I'm sure the people working at Arsenal, who are employed at Arsenal by KSC have done their
2: best, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we come back to the ownership and, you know.
1: Yeah. Or, or the question of whether the, the people's best is good enough, which is another valid yeah, question. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, fair.
1: But, you know, it's it's we're in this position where we are running this, inverted commas, self-sustaining manner, mm-hmm. and there's been no real diversion from that, you know, in the in the current situation.
2: So what, what do you expect to happen between now and 11 o'clock tonight?
1: Well, people might be listening to this on Tuesday morning. I don't know. No one has commutes anymore, do they? So they're no, They're just listening true. to it at home. Uh, on Monday, I don't expect a great deal. I don't expect many incomings. I don't expect any incomings, to be honest with you. Uh, on Sunday, I thought uh, potentially there might be one. But at this stage, it would take something to change. And I think today's going to be generally less busy than people anticipated. There's a sort of trend in this window of people waiting late and waiting for it to sort of whir into action. And speaking to agents, it just hasn't really done that.
2: Um, well, I mean, you say that, but I just saw a, a thing there on Twitter that Premier League clubs have spent over a billion pounds in this transfer period.
1: That's <laughs> not bad, is it? You know, um,
2: in a COVID market, et cetera, et cetera.
1: No, 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 of course. And people have done business, you know, look at Everton, look at Sheffield United, look at, you know, other clubs. But what I'm saying is that there were some clubs waiting for dominoes to fall or thinking that, you know, they could leave it late and some of those clubs are going to end up short. I mean, Manchester United are going to do some business today, but probably not as much business as they wanted. You know, Arsenal aren't going to get what they wanted. Um and, and I, I do think that, you know, we, we mentioned this right at the top of the transfer discussion. But what we will see today is a couple of players probably leaving on loan. And I think that is absolutely central to the story of what's happened. That, that, you know, very clearly there were players Arsenal were desperate to sell. Maybe too desperate because there just haven't been buyers.
2: Well, that's it. I mean, Gendouzi joining Hertha Berlin. Um yeah. You know oh that no. was a that was a club that he turned down earlier in the summer. Apparently, um, whether he was waiting for for a more um, storied a club to come in, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't know, or whether Arsenal were expecting someone to come in and offer us some money for Guendouzi. Um You know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that if we were willing to sell him, there there isn't a Premier League club out there who might spend some money on Guendouzi when you look at some of the money that Premier League clubs have spent. Um, you know, yeah, it is It is a bit of a strange one. I mean, do we? what do we read into the reports about Guendouzi that there's no loan fee? I see some people reporting that and other people reporting that there is a loan fee. It would be very surprising to me if we were to let a player like Guendouzi go to a club like Hertha Berlin, which has got some money, uh, because they were looking to bring in Granite Shaka, if you remember, back in January, yeah, yeah, it would yeah. be very surprising if there wasn't some kind of a loan fee being paid.
1: Yeah, I don't know the truth of that, and obviously I'll try and find out. But uh, it would be a little bit surprising. I mean, in the case of Gendouzi, I think it's pretty clear Arteta wanted him out, and maybe that maybe that hurt our attempts to sell him. You know, everybody knew. He was mm. on the outside. There were those sort of lip service comments paid, weren't there, at the start of the season. But I think that was pretty transparent. And um, I have to say, though, I'm a little bit amused that he sort of ended up with Hertha Berlin. I know they've got an interesting project there, blah, blah, blah. But there was talk of him hoping for Barcelona or something, you know. And
2: well, I mean, It's not quite that, is it? No, I mean, I don't think that was ever realistic, to be honest. Um, mm. And I think it's true when when somebody is very, very obviously... Unwanted, uh, it does um, have an impact on their value in the transfer market. I I don't think it should um, quite have affected it this much. But then maybe the fact that there are no offers, substantial offers for Gendouzi from anywhere, maybe that's maybe that's something that tells us a story but, you know, as well. I don't know.
1: At least there appears to be someone to take him and take over his salary. You know, someone like I don't know. Uh, Sokratis or Kalasinac, maybe even Mustafi. You know, those are all players Arsenal would have been happy to see go. And as things stand, I mean, I think there might be movement on a couple of those today. But as it stands, it hasn't happened. And yeah, I mean, I always come back to the fact that you look at the FA Cup final. There were two players left out of the squad that day. And that was a clear message from the manager of... I want these players gone mm. and if if one of them had been sold for a decent fee and one of them uh, they'd even moved him on and removed his contract from the wage bill it would have opened up you know a bit of capacity in terms of spending and ultimately it didn't happen for Arsenal and and next I mean <laughs> without wishing to kind of make anyone have to wait for a long time you look at the contracts that expire next summer at Arsenal Mustafi Socrates Ozil there might be a couple more I forget mm. You open up a big chunk there, potentially.
2: Well, I mean, that's over half a million pounds a week off the wage bill when those three guys leave, when their right. contracts expire.
1: I mean, that's that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, like, yeah. That's a game-changing amount of money. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I think Arsenal are going to go spend a lot of money next summer, but I sort of think, had they been able to make that change this summer we might be talking we might be having a very different maybe slightly more exciting day
2: mm, yeah that and you know not spending money on players we didn't really need or players yeah. who perhaps aren't going to be sins good in the past
1: the sins of the past i think are haunting us a bit today
2: yes i think so i think so um right do we have anything else um,
1: no, not really. I mean some people ask questions about the actual game, but wow, really we covered like the who game. gives a shit about that? Yeah, um, fucking football. <laughs> no, I I don't I don't think there's anything else, really. Um I'm just disappointed for everyone. You know, we all you know, everyone loves a new signing. It would have been very exciting to have a big, you know, big star arriving. I think our I think it was a real opportunity for Arsenal because he's a player who I think would normally, I wrote about him in April when I was looking at potential midfielders Arsenal could sign and I wrote that Arsenal, in my estimation couldn't get him, you know, because he was like destined for a Man City or Juventus or Barcelona yeah. or wherever. Um, so when you get a clear run at a player like that you know, it's frustrating that you can't yeah. go all the way.
2: This, This was our chance. This was our chance. Oh yeah. yeah,
1: we're not getting that player, I don't think, down the line. Uh, what's PSG? You're back on the market and Juve and others. I'd be very, very, very surprised. Mm.
2: And I think, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But I'd be surprised. All right. Well, look, we had a question from the Patreon from the Discord. Chris says, Chris says, how would you rate the transfer window out of 10, assuming no significant significant change in what seems to be uh, happening today, which is not very much, uh, and maybe a bit of dead wood removed. What we are going to do is discuss that on a Patreon pod tomorrow morning, so we'll just go over whatever the hell happens between now and 11 o'clock, and we'll make uh, you know our quick assessments on the transfer window as a whole, and where the squad is, and where it stands, and what we might be capable of doing with the players that we have, uh, we will know the makeup of the squad between now and January. I suppose it's worth pointing out that there will be another transfer window in January, which yeah, is only, yeah. what, l- less than three months away now. So potentially there's um, there's more no business to do then. One
1: suspects that much will depend on, you know, the... F- do Arsenal get any fans back in the stadium and things like that? I do think, you know, the next few months um, could go one of two ways, really. And who knows what it will mean for well, sort of the Well, yeah. The mid-
2: I mean, the other thing as health. well is that if if we, you know, if between now and the opening of the new transfer window, the problems that we have in midfield, which yeah. we may have to solve with the players that we have, but if those problems remain and they are an impediment to us making the kind of progress that we need to make, then there's going to be even more pressure on those on high to get something done to to make us better. Mario,
1: Mario Gertz are on a free transfer. Mario Gertz is available on a free transfer. It feels like classic Arsenal to roll back the years. Loan bid for Draxler at 10 o'clock tonight.
2: Mm. Bound to happen. Right. We'll cover it all on Where's the live. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere out there with his broken back. Um, mm. Yeah, there must be a player out there uh, who's paralyzed that we could say. <laughs> 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 uh, look, anyway, look thanks everybody for joining us thanks for being here as always um let's keep fingers crossed it seems very very unlikely that anything's happening but if you're listening to this on monday um uh, maybe 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 something might happen between now and 11 we will cover it on the live blog over on Arse blog news or you can just go to arsbloglive forward slash live blog for a, a good mobile view keep up to date on that we'll discuss it a bit more tomorrow on the patreon pod so until then keep everything crossed keep the faith and we'll uh, we'll catch you then
1: Bye-bye.
0: This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.